Well, good morning. My name is Sam. I'm the youth pastor here at Maple Ridge Alliance Church. We are finishing off our series in Joshua today, and we are jumping all the way to the end to Joshua chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn there, and we're going to pray as we jump into this morning's message. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the book of Joshua, just for the example that you showed us through uh, leading and guiding and and living uh, with your people. God, I just pray for this morning that you would speak through me, that you would speak to me as well as we dive into your word, as we see what you would have for us this morning. In your name, amen. Well, over the last few weeks, I have thought a lot about my house when Melody, Melody and I got married, uh, we decided that we wanted to buy a house. We assumed that at some point uh, we would buy a house. And that happened for us just a few years ago. Because that's what people do when they get married. And because they don't want to live with their parents, they find a place to live. And eventually, hopefully, in this market, they buy a place to live There are a lot of expectations, there's excitement, there's nerves, there's discussions that all go around making such a huge investment. And deciding to journey down the path of purchasing uh, inevitably starts a whole bunch of different conversations all at the same time. We started to have discussions about where we'd want to live. Where, where, what was in proximity to different things, what were the pros and cons of different parts uh, of the city, where was the closest Starbucks, that was very important to us. We started making a list of certain things we wanted our house to have, how many bathrooms, where the kitchen was placed, how big the, the backyard was, all of these kinds of things. And then we started dreaming about once we got the house, how would we make it our own? What kind of paint colors would we choose? What renovations would we have to do? Maybe flooring, uh, maybe me building things or changing things in the house. But here's the thing. The day that we found out that we got the house, the day that we put an offer on the house, the day that our purchase went through, uh, the day that we found out that the house would be ours and we finally got the keys, all of those conversations didn't just end in that moment. When we moved into our place, a whole new set of conversations started to take place. Taking possession of the house wasn't a finite conclusion to a single discussion. It was actually the catalyst opening up a whole bunch of new conversations and possibilities for us to have. So we could either view taking possession of the house as an end and live contently in the security that we owned uh, and we got to live in this place, or we could view it as a start, beginning a work and making it our own and making it a home. I don't know how you view your life or over the past, you know, seven or eight months as we've been living in this pandemic, if your view of life has changed at all, or even if you've taken moments to stop and pause and think about what's going on in your life. But this morning, I want to suggest, and this is the title of my message, that we experience life in starts and ends. Because even the end of something means the start of something new. Buying a house isn't the end. You then have to live in it. You make payments. You fix things that break down. You personalize it. You even decorate for each season. Maybe some of you have your Christmas tree set up in the room you're watching this in right now. 
Getting a car means actually driving it, putting it on the road, uh, upkeep, oil changes, um, you know, going for long drives. And even when one dies, it means starting a conversation about getting a new one. Learning a hobby means honing your skills, trying new things, getting better, gaining experience. Even for you students, finishing high school or, or moving on to university and graduating sets you on a life where maybe you don't use that specific information you learned in history class, but the skills that you learned in school you definitely will use for a lifetime. And even our spiritual lives are in this constant flux of starts and ends. Starts and ends are constant overlapping cycles that make up our lives. The decisions, events, conversations, and experiences are in one shape or form make up the existence of our life experience. These cycles overlap and they lead one to another. They are based on as much on what has been, on what is going on right now, and what will happen in the future. And I would argue that the beginning of these things is as as important as the middle, and it's as important as the end. This morning, we find ourselves jumping all the way to the end of the book of Joshua, to chapter 24. Joshua is giving one final address to his people, to to the people of Israel, reminding them of all the things that have brought them to this point to brought them together as a nation. Joshua is essentially asking the nation of Israel um, who just saw them take the possession of the promised land. He is essentially asking if the nation of Israel saw the possession of the promised land as an end or if they are taking the land and seeing the fulfillment of God's promise and viewing it as the start of something new. Were they going to sit back in security taking possession of the promised land, or were they going to step out boldly in faith? So we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. See, Joshua makes a strategic move in verse 1 by bringing the people back to Shechem. Soon after the people entered the promised land, right at the beginning, they had a ceremony, that building an altar, writing out the covenant on stones in order for that to be a reminder of what God had done in fulfilling his promise to bring them into the promised land. Now in a time where Joshua is calling his people back to a renewed commitment to fear and to serve God, he brings them back to this exact spot. So they could see the stones again. So they could have a physical reminder of what God had brought them through. If entering the promised land was to be the end of something, then why build a physical reminder for the people to see as they, as they walked and traveled through the promised land? That, that children could see this thing built and ask, what is that all about? Why, did, why is that built? Why are there all these words covering this altar? It was supposed to be the start of a new cycle, which was built on God completing or following through on his previous promises. And God knows that we will need reminders in our lives to point us back to what he has done, to show us what he is doing, and what he will do for us. 
And so for the next 12 verses, verse 2 to verse 13, Joshua speaks as a prophet, sharing God's words to the people, reminding them how God had worked and moved in order that this nation of people might now inhabit the promised land. And so for the next 12 verses, God is speaking through Joshua, showing the cycle of starts and ends that have brought them to this point. One thing starting and moving to an end that starts a new thing, each time building on what came before and moving towards the next end. He speaks of Abraham, who God called by grace, his unmerited kindness and favor, out of an awful and terrible idol-worshiping situation in order to build the nation of Israel through him and his family. Then he comes to Isaac and his two sons, Jacob and Esau, one of which sells his birthright for some food and the other who escapes to Egypt to survive a famine. And God used that time in Egypt to allow his people to multiply. Though they found themselves in slavery, they found themselves in hardship, and under foreign rule, the Israelite people and nation were able to survive and grow in that context. Joshua reminds them of Moses and Aaron coming to Egypt to free the people. This epic struggle, including plagues, that finally allowed the nation of Israel to break out and, and move out of Egypt. Joshua recounts the story that would be very familiar to those in attendance of how leaving Egypt moved them to the Red Sea and the waters parting and the entirety of their people walking on dry land out of Egypt. And then there's, there's these words. If you have your Bible, you can maybe put a little star by this. And it says, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. You know those times where a word or a phrase or even an image of something can just invoke a bunch of raw emotions uh, rather than hearing a whole explanation or a whole, whole story played out. The stories would have been told and retold about why they had to wander in the wilderness, which family members never made it to the promised land, and also the ways that God miraculously and ultimately protected his people in the desert. And now the weight of those words would have hit a bit different, standing at this altar in Shechem, seeing the words of God's covenant and knowing that they were finally inhabiting the place that had been promised to them. Finally, Joshua speaks of the events that take place within the promised land, a testament to the fact that crossing the Jordan and setting foot within the borders of this new land were not, were not actually the end. There was more to come. And this history wasn't just the highlights. It wasn't just the good things that, that God was reminding his people through Joshua a list of people, situations, and experiences that without God wouldn't have amounted to much. But it was a testament to God's faithfulness over and over again, using unsuspecting people, ordinary people, sometimes ungifted people, in order for God to show his power, his purpose, and his grace in leading his people. But as I was studying this chapter, out of all the verses I read from chapter 24, this next verse, verse 13, hit a little bit different. It says this, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, 
and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. This verse really made me think about how I approach God in my life in general. Too often we can come to our relationship with God and still believe that we are adding to it or making things happen on our own. We get to feast on the fruits of God's goodness, but we often do it while taking credit for what we have done, for who we are, for what we have accomplished. I read this great quote this week talking about another event from the book of Joshua that really sums up what this verse was making me think about. It says this, Eventually, God gave Jericho to the children of Israel. He required their participation while he conquered it completely without their help. He required their participation while he conquered it completely without their help. They are commanded to march around the walls while they do, yet when the walls come tumbling down, no one is under the delusion that their marching contributed to the walls coming down in any way. What a great illustration of the walk of life with our relationship with God. We are not robots, and God requires our participation, and yet we can look and see his supernatural work accomplishing something in us that we could never accomplish for ourselves. We would be blind to read the story of the Israelites and think that, we, that they chose to live in Egypt so their nation could grow under Egyptian rule, that they somehow on their own found a way to escape, that they somehow held back the waters of the Red Sea on their own so that millions of people could walk on dry land. That they would choose to wander in the wilderness, taking the scenic route. That once they finally made it to the promised land, that somehow walking around a great fortified city seven times would miraculously make the wall spontaneously combust. One commentator puts it this way, the substance of these closing words of the Hebrew chief amounted to this, that they the people had vastly more done for them than they had done or could have done for themselves. They were not the sole nor the chief architects of their own fortunes. Often, often it is easier for us to see God's hand in Bible stories or in the life of someone else than to realize God's work in our own lives. And the reason why verse 13 stood out to me so much was because The physical provision for the Israelites points to the eventual spiritual provision that God would fulfill in Jesus. You say that again. The physical provision for the Israelites points to the eventual spiritual provision that God would fulfill in Jesus. See, just like verse 13 talks about all of these things that that the people got to take part in even though they hadn't built or they hadn't grew or they hadn't planted, the same thing happens for us in our relationship with Jesus. Through Jesus, we are given access to have a relationship with the God of the universe. Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access, obtained access through him by faith, not by our own works. In Jesus, we find access to a full and abundant life in God, a life greater than we could create for ourselves. John 10.10 says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In Jesus, we find a personal God willing to live life not only with us, but through us. Acts 17, 27 to 28 says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. In Jesus, we are given the Holy Spirit that grows in us things that we have not created or manifested, but that God has planted and knit into our very being. John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. Where would the nation of Israel be if they had been the architects of their own destiny? Would they even have been a nation, a people? This brings me to a question. Would you rather be the driver, the architect, or the director of your own life? Or would you rather allow God, who has proven time and time again, to not only have the power, the knowledge, and indeed your best interests at heart, Would you rather have him guide and direct your life? So there are three words I want us to consider that Joshua is highlighting uh, for his people in this final address. It starts in verse 14. It says this, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served before the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The first word is choose. Verse 14 starts with these two words, now, therefore, Because of all that God has done for this reason, consequently, all the things that have just been talked about in those first 13 verses. It is blatantly obvious from looking at our own lives that even if we were able to see the things that God is doing in us, in those around us, the choice to follow him doesn't always come naturally. We don't always have good follow-through. This is why I'm so thankful that God does not always require blind faith. Oh, there are times in our lives where where we're asked to do things on faith, where we don't know what the next step is, or we don't know the plan, and we have to trust God. But if nothing else, God has given us his word, the Bible, in which he has laid out story after story of how he has worked and moved and kept his promises and worked for the good of those who would seek and follow after him. And in the same way, Joshua is saying, I'm not just springing this decision on you people out of nowhere. You have seen firsthand what God has been able to do. 
And now what will you choose to do with all of this information? Colossians 3, 16 to 17 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, our our lives are built on these layers, these starts and ends. And to choose to follow God is actually continuously choosing to re-engage in that initial choice and to allow God into our daily lives. Joshua continues in verse 16, Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went? And among all the peoples through whom we passed, and the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua, listen to this, but Joshua said to his people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. This brings us to the idea of consistency. What a response from Joshua. The nation's history had just been recited and laid out for the people. They were standing in this significant place in Shechem in front of an altar built to to remember what God had done. The people hear and see all of these things and and their response to, to Joshua is, yes, we will follow the Lord. He has obviously done so much for us that we will follow him. And yet Joshua's response in verse 19 seems so backwards. Here Joshua is highlighting something very important. He's he's actually being harsh for a reason. The people needed to understand that they couldn't become inactive or satisfied with the security of, of their present situation. That one season was coming to an end, but a new one needed to begin He wanted them to see their consistent need for God, their consistent need to choose God. Just because they had arrived in the promised land, their drive and attention to detail and their relationship with God could not let up now. The start is as important as the middle is as important as the end because the the end brings a new start and a new cycle. Meaning there is consistency in not only how we start something, the reason you start something, the way you carry that decision or attitude or experience in the middle and how you close off or step into something new at the end. All of that matters. And all of it matters who you're trusting through that process. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 say this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. We can all go 
through a week and have hundreds of moments, decisions, situations, and experiences where, where we have a choice of how consistently we will allow our relationship with God to invade those moments and spaces. So often we aren't consistent in allowing God to be a part of our whole lives. And so we inconsistently pick and choose which places we will allow him to engage. What Joshua is saying to his people is that there is no room for complacency when it comes to fearing the Lord and serving him. Reaching the promised land wasn't just a checkbox in their history. It was the start of a new cycle. that They needed to learn to live with God in the midst of seeing so much provided for them. Sometimes it's so easy for us to live for God when things are going well. And so we have to rectify how we allow God to work and move in those different situations and to not get complacent, to find consistency in all of the areas of our life. Verse 22 and 23, Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. The last word is commitment. Let's be honest, as people, we can be our harshest critics. And on the other hand, we are very good at justifying uh, the things and the decisions that we do in our own lives. We can also make commitments and either find ways out of them or just simply forget the power and the sincerity that came when we first made that commitment. Uh, This happens on youth retreats all the time, and I see it as a youth pastor happened in my own life as a youth. You, You go to camp or a retreat, you get out of your comfort zone, you go to a place where your cell phone uh, doesn't work, you get away from the daily grind, you get away from uh, those that, that maybe influence you on a daily basis. You take time to wrestle with and listen to what God is saying to you. And, and honestly, there's, there's usually a moment during that weekend where, where youth, and I did it myself, sincerely make a decision to make a change in their life. They make some commitment but getting on the bus and, and coming home and re-engaging with your friends and finding you a pile of homework and you have a shift coming up for your job and you're checking social media and you go to sports practice and you pick up your guitar or some other hobby and all of a sudden the sincerity of that initial decision somehow gets mixed up in everything else. And I feel like Joshua is having a camp moment with his people here. He's brought them to Shechem, this, this very important place, away from other distractions. He's laid out the truth of what God wants them to hear. He's giving and allowing them to have this moment to choose what they want to do, who they want to serve. And he reminds them that it's only through a consistent relationship with God that this choice will hold true. And he is telling them that it will be a commitment and a commitment that they will have to hold themselves to. God is obviously part of that covenant and that commitment, but 
But he is saying, you are witnesses to your own choice. You can hold yourself and you will know when you are, when you are following, when you are, when you are pressing in, or when you are inconsistent in the commitments that you're making. Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 to 9 say this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be... Uh, as frontlets between your eyes, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When we make a commitment, we need to have reminders. And Deuteronomy is talking about the fact that you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your might. And these words I commanded you today shall be on your heart. And some of us are not good at memorizing. Some of us are not good at remembering. And so maybe we need uh, a journal where we write uh, things um, to God so we can remember. We write out verses. Maybe we need to have a sticky note on the fridge or, or places where we frequent in our house to remind us of those truths so that we can be reminded of the sincerity of our commitment and it can push us to be consistent. So this is where I want to land our message today. At the beginning, I talked about um, buying a house and viewing that as an end or as the start of a new cycle and something new. And I think that this goes along with our own lives as well. We either view God's grace, our relationship with him, the fact that Jesus died on the cross to have a relationship with us. We either view God's grace in our lives as an end being content with living our lives because we have this promised security of eternity with him, or we view it as a start, a call that drives us deeper into our relationship with him. I think Joshua knew that getting into the promised land was such a huge thing, a huge thing to be fulfilled, a huge promise that God came through for his people. And yet he didn't want his people to see that as the end. He wanted them to see that as the start of something new, to choose God, to be consistent, and to commit to what they had chosen. In the same way, for those of us who believe that Jesus died on the cross for us, we can see, we can either see that as the ultimate insurance policy choosing to live our lives in the security of eternity, doing whatever we want, hoping that God is still going to save us and and bring us to heaven. Or we can view the fact that God would send his son Jesus to die on the cross as a catalyst to continue to dive deeper into relationship with him. Maybe today you need a therefore moment, a moment to remember or realize what God has done for you what he is doing for you, and what he will do for you. Maybe you need to have a recommitment to your relationship with him. And maybe today is the day that you commit for the first time. Maybe you're hearing these things, maybe you're hearing the story uh, of the people in the Old Testament. Maybe you're, you're starting to have your heart warmed to who God is and and what he can be in your life. Maybe today is the day that you need to start talking to him and asking him to reveal more of himself in your life. 
See, today is, is a great day to choose God. To get consistent about your relationship with Him and to commit to your faith in Him. Let's pray. So God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the example of your people. We thank you for Joshua for for calling his people to start something new, to dive deeper with you. God, I pray today that we would choose you, that we would find ways this week that we could be consistent in the way that we walk and live with you, allowing you to engage in every part of our life. And God, I pray that we would take seriously the commitment in our relationship with you. God, I'm thankful that you're a God that holds up your end of the bargain consistently. And God, would we be a people that commit to you. We thank you for how much you love us and you care for us in your name. Amen.